Welcome to the Narrative Health Podcast, where we use the power of stories to promote change through the simple act of listening. Here, we bring you accounts from our community about navigating health and illness, including the hopes, fears, struggles, and triumphs along the way. I'm your host, Amira Hassan. In our very first episode, I have a conversation with Emily, our editor, and Dr. Ku Fum, a physician here at the Community University Healthcare Center, about what narrative medicine is and why it is needed. This is Emily. I'm the education manager at the Community University Healthcare Center. I work with all staff, students, patients in our programs. My name is Ku Fum. I work at the Community University Healthcare Center. I'm trained in internal medicine and pediatrics, and what that gives me is an opportunity to work with people of all ages. Why I went to medicine, I think, is a pretty long story, but what I would say is I identify myself as a Vietnamese refugee. Um, I grew up in a family that was very supportive, and at one point in my life, I went back to Vietnam. I was born in Vietnam, but came back as an adolescent, and I think that opened my eyes to a level of poverty that I did not see exist living in the suburbs of Minnesota. When I finally made that jump forward or that leap forward feeling comfortable trying to get into medicine, it felt right. Medicine felt like a natural part of what I wanted to do and give back. So what is narrative health? Narrative health urges you to explore all stories at play around health to thoughtfully and intentionally examine who and how people are telling their stories, how you are listening and if you are sharing, what is being defined and who is defining it. Narrative Health emphasizes the importance of listening to your community with a thoughtful ear while not being outside of or immune to the stories. Narrative Health is a way for healthcare providers to better provide healthcare by understanding their patients' stories. I always say that 95% of my diagnosis comes from the story. I can sit and just listen to forget that diagnosis from their story. I very much believe that a patient encounter with a physician is learning to just interact with another being. And that takes a storyline, it takes a narrative, it takes listening, it takes connecting. How, how do you draw the line between listening to someone's story and not necessarily getting emotionally involved? It's hard not to. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate because overall I'm a healthy person. I can go home and feel like my world's not collapsing. I have shelter, I have food, I have 15 bikes, and I'm a happy person. So that I think that's the thing that lets me let go and realize even though that person is experiencing so much, I'm still very fortunate. And I am privileged enough to maybe help that person. Um, but I think it's also okay to feel that sadness then and there, I've cried in front of patients because it, it, it's, it's almost abnormal not to experience things. If, if, if someone's crying, 
and someone's ex- expressing a story that's so overwhelming, and I'm just sitting there in the corner, not connecting with that person, how can I be human about it? One of the aspects of narrative health and bringing story back in, and especially the workshops I do where it's the patients and the learners together, is to reconnect that emotional aspect because emotions, as you so eloquently said, are part of your human experience and it's kind of weird to not show them. Yet clinical distance is taught as the way to disconnect to make it through the day. And then at the same time, we're seeing these higher burnout rates, these higher suicide rates among providers. And I'm just wondering, how do you navigate what you're taught in med school about clinical distance? And is it still taught as much as, you know, when I was pre-med? Yeah. Well, I guess maybe we don't vocalize it as clinical distance, but as professionalism, right? And um, I don't think it's ever spoken. I don't think there's been a moment where... uh, I'm told that you, sh- you should not be emotionally attached, but what they say is that you should make sure you have that distance so you can move on to the next person. So that burden you're not feeling, that you're feeling in that 10 minutes, you don't carry it to the next patient. So that's hard for me. So I just, when I feel something, I let it happen, and then take that breath. And whether I need to take a five to ten minute break after that person, I allow that to happen. I don't rush myself to that next person. Because clearly those emotions can last a while. And sometimes they seep into the entire day. And sometimes it seeps to the weekend and so forth too. But I think for me it's that mindfulness part of my own self and how I know I function. And I think everyone is so different. So I can't say how I do it works for another physician. So that all comes back to those moments then with patients where you are feeling um, your cup is full on yourself, that you can connect better with that patient, feel those emotions, and let those emotions happen, and then let them go in a safe manner for yourself. Brian Stevenson, a lawyer, activist, and law professor, has an idea of proximity that kind of gives us a whole portal into how the structure of healthcare may be changed to be more conducive to a relationship between patient and provider. He's an ACLU lawyer, all mm-hmm. around a MacArthur Grant genius, um, sure. who has this idea of proximity. Um, and so he says, if you're willing to get closer to people who are suffering, you will find the power to change the world. And I'm wondering, um, part of the narrative health and part of why I make sure in as much education as possible to bring the patient into the room, or if you've been, you've been to the panel presentations where you bring people into the clinic to talk about their experiences who have certain, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, have been labeled with disabilities, mm-hmm. LGBTQ, is to be able to hear that firsthand and hopefully change that perception. And I'm wondering, um, your views on proximity or even some of the activities that you've been to at Kook that we've done recently where we're bringing in people to talk and mm-hmm. how that's worked for you. It's interesting to hear the patient side of their encounter of the healthcare world and the physician side of the encounter of the healthcare world. If both sides get to hear what they're experiencing, I think that would give a lot of power to what a patient feels. Um, there are things that I wish I can get can control and I don't have control of that the patient experiences 
but they may believe that I'm controlling those experiences. One of the other aspects of proximity that I like and that we are doing by proxy through the podcast um, by making the stories available, patient stories available in the future, as well as the stories of our providers, is how we can look at how we change the narratives that sustain the problems. So in listening to your story, as a physician, if you can change any of the narratives, what would it be in terms of that situation? What can I change into in terms of the whole healthcare world? <laughs> you mean, or? Meaning looking at the structuralized narratives that we have now, choosing ones that you realize need change, because yeah. a lot of storytelling is not just telling what is, but telling right. what can be and what are the deeper narratives, which we'll be exploring throughout the podcast. Yeah beyond just that surface story. I think, you know, with Western medicine, our, our model of medicine is done is the patient comes to a room, things are done by another individual, by a medical assistant, and I appear in the room, we talk for a bit, and then we move on. That's not the storyline of most patients. That's not the best way to get the narrative. I am curious to wonder what it would be like for me to visit a person's home and get a narrative in that way. Would that person feel much more comfortable in their own space? Is there less anxiety involved with that? Would it provide me more of a snapshot of their life where I can see what their space is like? So their narrative is not just their word, but the space around them. So I think there are so many things that we can do as a healthcare world that we are doing currently that doesn't lend to a narrative. It's also making me think of a story, but I don't remember the name. I think William Carlos William wrote it where he goes, where he was the doctor and he goes um, into their home, but then he takes control of everybody in the room because he's the doctor. The shifting power dynamic of going into somebody's home, which in the American lore, you had the doctor who did that, who would go to your home. They were the town doctor. Mm-hmm. Versus here, where you're bringing people into your, where you're the dominant by your title, but also by the exam room, by the whole building that's set up clinically. And that word is not homey for a reason, where it's so foreign to others. Mm-hmm. It's like walking into... And it creates a kind of power dynamic. Yeah. I'm just wondering about the power dynamic shift between going into somebody's home right. with that authority as a doctor. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it, it, it is a situation that would work for everyone. I can't imagine having, for me, like having a random person in my house and feeling being judged. You know, the thing I would do is like, I got to clean my whole house. <laughs> it's going to be tidied up. But that's not what my house really is, mm-hmm. right? That's not the real house. So in a way, you're changing the narrative. <laughs> yes. So I, I, think, I think it really depends on that individual. Some people, it's hard for them to leave their home, whether it's something as severe as agoraphobia, where it's they can't go outside, or two, it's literally they don't have the transportation for it, or three, they they have a, a disability that does not allow them to leave the house, whether they're handicapped in a way they, they're not mobile enough to do it. So I think there are, I think, circumstances it it is helpful for me to be there if the patient welcomes that, but certainly there are moments where I think I would be in an overwhelming presence in that house. I think it's just an individual type of thing. How would you guys feel about a doctor visiting your home? I don't know. I would feel the need to also tidy up and just make everything perfect. I, I think I would be a little bit on edge. 
It depend on if I had a good relationship with the doctor. Mm-hmm. Like I have yet to find a doctor that I feel comfortable going back to, even when I'm supposed to. Um, mm-hmm. Supposed to, because the authoritativeness is kind of overwhelming mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, there, it's just that relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time I had a good doctor when I lived in New York, it was much more conversational. I want to say friend, but not like a, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean. It was more like. Hey, these are the recommendations. This is what's going on. Let me know if you need anything explained. She was very good about explaining mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. beforehand um, versus a lot of them that I've found here won't tell me when they're going to stick a needle. That was a big problem with one. You know, don't tell me other things before it happens or mm-hmm. walk me through what's going to happen. Um, a lot of it is assumptions that I already know when they say something because I work in healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know? So mm-hmm. maybe a friendly narrator is what I need. <laughs> what if what if we were what if a physician were to meet you in the community somewhere else? Would that be a comfortable place? I think so. Because going to the doctor's office, like Emily said, with all the exam rooms and everything, it can be scary and you know that there is that power dynamic. On the other hand, like if a doctor like goes to your house, that's supposed to be the place where you feel comfortable, but it might be some kind of an intrusion. But if it's like somewhere in the middle, I think that would be very ideal mm-hmm. for yeah, like building a, a relationship. Like yeah. a community center, school, yeah. yeah, maybe a religious place. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if there is any healthcare model like that. That'd be interesting to look into mm-hmm. if anyone has thought to consistently let's go to a location that is safe for everyone to, to experience. In telehealth, yes. Okay. Because at least in the ones that I remember when I worked out in New Mexico, um, you would go to a centralized location where they would have it set up for the doctor, and this was more rural, and there's probably people that know mm-hmm. way more about it here. Um, but in those rural towns, it would be like a center that you could go to where they'd have all the video equipment so you could meet with the doctor that would be in one of the bigger cities. Um, and then some of them have a nurse on hand mm-hmm. if there's shots or vaccines mm-hmm. or something like that. But in that area, it is. And there are some in even the Twin Cities that I've seen for um, mental health where you go to a center, but it's a telehealth. Mm-hmm. And so you go there um, in centralized locations or wherever and you Skype or do the telehealth with the provider. Yeah, I can definitely see where that model would work with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. The first one, this sounds like more of a, is it like a kind of a mobile clinic type of thing or is because of access? They don't have any other physicians. They move that to a location every once in a while. And I didn't interact fully with it, but it's my understanding that it's not even moving the location. It's like having a community room, like mm-hmm. where we're doing the recordings now, that has access to a screen and a projector where people can, not projector, but a screen and the equipment needed where people can go and have that screen time with their doctor who would be in a different part of the state mm-hmm. because of access issues. Yes, it's a way to um, at least get some access. Mm-hmm to the rural communities, where when we talk about access, um, it's not just in major cities where people don't have it, but in the rural areas, it's even harder because there aren't providers that want to work out there. Mm -hmm. There's not enough of a population to sustain one. Um, Mm -hmm. 
you know, those sorts of aspects. So telehealth has been great for that, managing chronic conditions, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I certainly can see myself um, understanding the um, this convenience of that for both me and for the, the patient, too. There also exists a different kind of proximity, that between a healthcare provider and their family or friends. Well, I think most people's fears are they start diagnosing or treating in a way that they would not do it if it was not a family member. Or they advocate for some things or some sort of treatment they would never offer to a person that's a stranger to mm-hmm. them. So it gets blurry, blurry. Is this good medicine or is it your emotion? And I think that comes back to that distant type of thing. So should you be providing yourself that distance too? I honestly don't know what the right answer is because sometimes I am myself knowing that the field, I am the best advocate. I can be the best advocate for that person too. Whether me taking care of that person, that becomes the iffy part. Mm-hmm. Advocacy is a good word. Because you just remind me, even as somebody who's not an MD, I'm an MFA, working in this field, I get a lot of questions as well from health, from rashes to everything. And where I can help is helping them be better advocates mm-hmm. for themselves, which is another question. How can patients be good advocates for themselves in healthcare? One, I always recommend them bring someone else with them. So being a good advocate is making sure there are many voices involved. Two, asking questions. To me, it's not pushback, especially if there's something they're not clear about. It's my job to explain the situation um, and set the expectation. Being there for another individual, being inquisitive, starts the advocacy work. How do we know that narrative health makes a difference? I don't know if we can quantify it. I guess we can try to study it. That's what my brain says as a physician, that maybe we can put a study on it and if that makes a difference. Um, I think for me, it still comes down to feeling connected. If it makes me feel better and the patient feels better, I think that's good enough. It provides one person where their health is where it wants to be. I think it's good enough. I don't have numbers, but that's okay with me. Because that's most of medicine, to be honest. I think we tell ourselves with lots of numbers, this is the story. But often we twist those numbers to make us feel better. I don't think numbers are necessary to explain everything that we need to have explained and numbers don't provide the comfort that words provide um, narrative health is more in the qualitative realm as you mentioned how you feel and when we do it with the students um, the learners definitely in terms of identity formation a lot of the comments are about how good it makes them feel to have that space to even talk about what it means to be Coming um, a pharmacist, you know, a nurse practitioner, social worker, as a doctor, and what is embedded in those words of the identity, and in working with the patients, you know, learning to be you are part of this community of illness mm-hmm. is the number one thing. So it's more of the qualitative. We're not doing the burnout rate scales 
there are studies on that mm-hmm. about the burnout rate and narrative and using these wellness techniques, but recognizing that um, and the patients, the number one thing that we've heard and hopefully will hear in all of these going forward is just being heard by somebody and how wonderful it is to talk to people that are going to be their future providers and let them know what's important and how wonderful it is that they have learned to listen and sit there and listen to each stories and ask questions about the story, not about the diagnosis. Because mm-hmm. the diagnosis is a word that we like, but it's not the story. A sincere thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into our Narrative Health podcast. For more information, visit our Community University Healthcare Center website. That's www.cuhcc.umn.edu. Thank you.